and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. This morning. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you. Man, I'm excited. Uh, I What a weekend. Woo! We had a staff retreat, and uh, we got to the heart of some things this weekend, I'll tell you right now. Um, (laughs) The demons had to come out this weekend, praise the Lord. You get in a card game with some guys who are competitive, and it just gets real really fast, amen? Especially when it's spades, and your partner's leaving you out to dry. Where you at, Kenny? No, I'm just playing, bro. I ain't playing, I'm just playing. I have my part to play in that, too. Anyways, uh... Man, I'm super excited to be here. I'm, I'm excited to share uh, with you this morning. Uh, I really feel the Lord has something for you. I want to I teach a little bit about the Mosaic Covenant and what it has to do with, but I also feel like there's something specific for you this morning in your life that the Lord is going to deposit and call something out of you. Amen? Hey, um, so I was talking to somebody recently uh, I think it may be even been Geo, and because um, you know, with all the COVID stuff, and it's been really difficult for employers to find good employees. But there's one place that has had banging employees, and that is those scammer calls. Those people will be calling every day. I want to remind you about your extended warranty. Like I've never had an extended warranty. I never had a warranty. So like, bro, you busting? Like I don't have any extended warranty. They are just very, very thorough. It's always funny to me that they'll try to scam people about the warranties because, I mean, I would have, I've never had a new car, but I would imagine if you were to own a new car, that would be one of the things you know when that sucker is ending, is that warranty, because that's like the reason you buy a new car. And, and so I just never really understood that. But, you, you know, this morning, there are certain things that you have access to, just like that car warranty, that you need to know that are available to you. And there are also certain things in that contract, we're going to call it a covenant, but a contract that are not only you are entitled to, but you are entitled to perform. I didn't get a lot of applause, but it's just the, it's just the truth. The, you, when you said yes to Jesus, you, the Bible says, Paul says, we are grafted into this story, this narrative that the Lord had been using through Israel for thousands of years. And all of a sudden you are entitled to things, but you are also called to certain things. Amen. And it's important for us to really know what we are entitled to and called to. Amen. And so I want to talk about that this morning. It's really important on those warranties. Like Anytime I make a big purchase, uh, we, we, we bought, we did buy a car one time and I was better sure I was reading the lines, the really fine lines. I wasn't even getting a warranty, but I wanted to make sure there wasn't some secret thing. They're going to sneak in there. And so it's important to know what you're signing up for. Amen. Hey, so we are talking last week. We talked about, um, the Abrahamic covenant and this week we're talking about the mosaic. So Abraham and now Moses, um, Abraham and Moses. Amen. Um, let me find my place here. Yes. Lord have mercy. I hate using this computer, but I was like, I got too many notes for a phone. Um, okay, cool. So 
Last week, we're talking about Abraham, and I'm not going to try to like recap a lot of stuff because we have some things I want to cover this morning. But in the story of Abraham, you have God taking one man, God taking one man and then his family and making them a people unto him. Amen. So like you have the Bible says God searches the land and all the land. He finds one man who's righteous in the land of Ur, Abraham. Okay. And he takes Abraham and he dedicates, even Abraham's father is worshiping idols, right? Abraham's father is, has become distant. So Abraham is the only one who knows the most high. And so God takes this man and sets him and his family aside. He actually says to leave your home country. And I'm going to show you a new land. He takes him out of his previous context, out of the witchcraft, out of the idolatry, into something new. And so he's doing a new thing with Abraham. Why is he doing this? This is going to be important today because God wants a human family. God wants a human and spiritual, God wants a blended family. Did you know this? God wants a human family and a angelic spiritual family blended together. You see, when he made Eden, when he made this place on earth where humans were embodied and, it, and God dwelled among them and the spirits hovering over the waters and he obviously had these appointments where he walks with Adam in the garden, like God wants the spirit and the flesh to be joined together in this blended, beautiful family. God knew that humans couldn't go to heaven. So God says, I will bring heaven to earth through Eden. And then we know what happens. The fall happens. Adam and Eve eat the apple, whatever. But God does not say, well, that plan is just out the window. He says, no, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get what I want. I will bring heaven to earth. I will bring heaven to earth. And so we see as soon as the fall happens, there's a narrative through scripture of God getting back to the, did you know this, that at the end of all this, I mean, I was thinking about the, this this morning and that, um, that at the end of all this, we don't live in heaven. <laughs> we don't live in heaven. We don't sit on clouds. We live on a new earth. Did you, did you, it's in there. Like God creates a new heavens and new earth and he descends the holy city on, and we live on a redeemed planet with physical bodies. He wants what he, he, he wants what he wants. He wants flesh dwelling with the spirit. So like he's going to get what he wants. Amen. And so the covenants are the fabric, like the stitches almost of the, the string going through time. It's holding things together. It's God coming into time with man saying, I'm going to make covenant with you because we're going somewhere. Amen. Come on. Oh, it's good. It, so the covenants are even just, they're just more than blessings you're entitled to. You are invited into a narrative of scripture where God is going to terraform the earth to look like heaven. And those covenants play an integral part. Abraham is a man and a family that God pulls out of earth, of all the wickedness. He pulls out one family, one man who is pure and righteous. And he plants them and they're expanding. And as we know, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then, and then jo and Joseph goes into Egypt. They get captured Egyptians, you know, Prince of Egypt. Anybody? And then so, um, you're playing with the, okay. So they get delivered from no love Covey. I know you love that movie, bro. Come on. Um, you're playing that for altar, whether you like it or not. Uh, so, so they get delivered from Egypt, right? 
God is calling his people out. Think about this. All throughout scripture, you can see a narrative, and we're going to see it in a second, of where God is inviting his people into circumstances to shift realities in, in nations and regions. I believe Joseph was put in Egypt for a purpose to transform that nation, to make it look like heaven. But people have free will and Pharaoh didn't want that, so it didn't happen. God keeps seeding opportunities. When, when finally it will become a final opportunity, which we know is Jesus, but so he delivers his people from Egypt, and I know I'm trying to give you a fire hydrant, but you, you need to see the worldview of where we're going. Because we have to look at the Bible through the right lens, right? We don't look at it through the Constitution of America. We look at it through an ancient person's worldview. It just, it, we have to. So he delivers the people out of Egypt. And now this family that started with Abraham is multiplied into several million people. It's, it's a nation now. It's, it's a nation and now God has taken these people from Egypt out of slavery through the sea, through the desert, and now they're coming to the mountain. He's taking a family, created them into a nation, and now they've approached the mountain. And this is where God is going to take that man where he says, Abraham, you are righteous. And his plan is now I'm going to make a nation who is righteous for me. Yeah. That same heart that God saw in Abraham of like a man after his heart of, of somebody who was righteous, he's gonna create that through an entire country. Do you see the plan? We're starting here to a family and now we're getting to a country. He wants to, ch to change the entire earth. Yes. All right, it, it's important to see this or we're gonna lose it. All right, so let's start here. Um, in, let's go in Exodus 19. I think we're gonna start in verse three. I'm going to read it with you because I don't have the translation that I want up here. Um, all right, here we go. You, verse 4, Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall to me be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There it is. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So he's telling this to Moses, and he's going to tell it to Israel. Go to the next one, please. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them before them and all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and that they may also believe you forever. Next one. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Let's pause there. Let's just recap and see where we're at. So the, Moses is on top of the mountain. The Lord tells him, he says, I want to make these people a nation of priests. 
a nation, not one tribe, the Levitical tribe. I want to make a literal nation. Every one of you will minister before me and on behalf of me and a holy nation tells Moses. Moses says, sounds good, dad. He goes from the mountain. He tells the people, they're like, I'll, I can do that. Yeah, that sounds good. So they, this is layman's terms. Okay. Very blue collar. So he walked back up and he, uh, he goes to the mountain. He says, God it's good. And so he says, bring the people to the foot of the mountain. And then all of a sudden things start to get real smoke, thunderings, shakings, God doing his God thing. Okay. Let's go to the next one. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, so there's, there's a spiritual trumpet that is happening. This is not an Israelite. This is a trumpet coming from the smoke. <sighs> the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord caused Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Next one. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. So he's saying they cannot come up here yet. If they come up, they will die. Um, also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it next one. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the peop the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, I think that's the end. Is there something else after that? All right, I think it's it. Yep. All right. So that's intense. What we see from this scripture, there's a lot of thunderings and shakings and smoke and, but there's really a, a really important thing here. The Lord is telling his servant Moses, because we're still, we're not yet into the nation of priests. He still has to speak through a man. That's still how it's set up. But the Lord says, my plan is I want these entire nation, I want them to be a host for my presence. I want the people to have the access, Moses, like you have. I want, because we see this later on, that Moses had this place called the Tabernacle of Meeting, and he would go in and literally talk to the Lord face to face. The Lord is saying, I want the people of Israel to have that kind of access, Moses. They just have to want it. And so Moses goes down and tells them, and the Lord is getting ready to talk to the people of Israel. There's, there's procedure. You can't just walk up. You have to wait till he starts the dance. But this is the Lord's plan to create a nation that is in close relationship with him, to break down the one man standing on a stage or a mountain saying, this is what the Lord is saying, that the people could go in their own tabernacle of meeting and say, Lord, what are you saying for my life? And the narrative hasn't changed. The narrative hasn't changed. The Lord is still wanting you to walk into your bedroom at night, kneel before your bed and say, Lord, what do you want for my life? Come on. I can't start preaching yet. I'm still in teaching mode. I get, I get, it draws me in. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to verse five and six, please. It should be in that verse slide. Okay, good. So verse five, now therefore, this is, this is the crux of what we're talking about. Now, therefore, if you will indeed, say if. Yes. What does that mean? That means if it's contingent. If you, then I. This is different. Abraham says, I, God says, I will. I, I have searched your heart, I will. Now the Lord is saying, if. 
Part of the problem with us is sometimes we have promises the Lord has given to us, but there's an if attached to that promise. But we have said it as, God, you will. But the Lord's saying, if, and the Lord says, I want to bless you. And then we go blow all of our money and be terrible stewards. And the Lord's like, bro, it was an if. I wanted to bless you, but I'm not going to bless something that's going to break you. I can't do it. I will protect your heart more than I'll protect your bank account. Because the thing, one of those things is eternal. One of them is not. Okay, so draw me back into preaching. Okay, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Oh, come on. Hear the language. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. He's wanting to change this thing. He's wanting to bring it back to Eden. He wants to make it to where he can not only speak, but walk with the people. Come on. He wants to take, he wants, oh gosh, I believe when Jesus stepped foot on earth, it's, it was like God saying, finally, I'm back. Like I want to set foot on this thing. Okay. Verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He is saying to them, I want you to literally be so here's, here's the thing. In Israel, you have 12 tribes. One of those tribes, the tribe of Levi, was the tribe of priests. Amen? And they would go on to the Lord. They would minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. The Lord's original intent is to have all of Israel be the priesthood. We were like, if they're the priesthood, who are they ministering on behalf of? I'm so glad you asked. Egypt, Mesopotamia, the, Am- the Amalekites, all these other ites. He wants them to literally go to the Lord on behalf of all the lost nations of the world to be evangelists. He wants them. What do you think God really meant when he says, Abraham, through your seed, you will be a blessing to all nations? Of course, he meant Jesus, but that has greater implications than just that. The Lord is calling them to be a people to literally shift realities, to change nations. It's, it's not different in the, in the New Testament. What does he say? Disciple nations. It's still in his mind. He doesn't change his mind. He's just like, okay, you're not going to be obedient there. We're going to find a different way to go about this. And so a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's his plan. He wants to live with you. He wants to walk among you. And one day he will have his, his way. But this is the call he's given to the people of Israel. He says, I want you to be a holy nation amongst all the other nations. And, and if you, uh, you know, there's no pressure. We don't want people to come to both. But if you want, we're going to go a little deeper into this particular subject tonight about how a nation was meant to actually terraform or transform the entire earth. It's going to be really cool. Um, so this is a conditional covenant. Okay, the Lord is saying if, all right? Um, and we see that he's calling them, he's calling them up the mountain. He wants them up the, you know, hypothetical, but even physical mountain in a second. He wants them to come up to be with him, but the Lord's never going to force anybody to do anything. I mean, he'll put you on uncomfortable positions. Ask Jonah. <laughs> but like, uh, he's not going to force anybody to be anything. And I want to say this, the call up the mountain, this is not a salvation thing. It, it will put it in our terms. This is not a salvation thing. The call up the mountain, 
they're still his chosen people. He's going to make his nation. It may not be to the full extent of what he wanted it to be, but they're still his nation. He will keep it. He's a man of his word. He'll keep his part of the word. This is more about a fullness thing. It, there's, a, there's a term in, in theology we, we like to use now, but not yet. And so think of like sanctification. I am being sanctified right now. The Lord is sanctifying me every day. He's changing my minds. He's giving me the renewed mind of Christ. He's causing me to be a better father. He's helping me see him better. Though I, and you see this in writings of Paul, though I see through a glass darkly, when the perfect comes, I will see him face to face. There's going to come a day where I don't need to transform my mind anymore because I will behold him as I am beheld. I will know him as I am known. That's what he says. And so this is a now but not yet thing. The Lord is saying, okay, there's going to be a time where I'm going to make a new heavens, new earth. But right now you have an invitation. You have an, I have an invitation to step into a measure of that fullness now. It's not about your salvation. This is not, because we're going to read in a second where the Lord calls them up the mountain and they actually pull back. That doesn't mean they're not his chosen people. That just means they chose to not step into a greater measure of the fullness. You, and I believe this, and this is uncomfortable for some Christians to believe. I believe you can say a prayer and live a nominal, like just normal Christian life the rest of your life and then still enter in the heaven. But why would you? There are levels and there are invitations to the fullness of what you will one day experience and you by obedience you can bring those things down now and experience heaven here this is his prayer heaven on earth and so the lord is calling israel and us into a measure of the fullness that one day we will be grafted we will be beholding him we will be in front of him but he says you can experience a part of that now you can experience more of my character now more of my provision now more of my power now more of my love now but you have to walk up the mountain the amazing thing is is that in our own strength, we can't even lift a toenail. And so he says, you have to walk up the mountain, but secretly I'm gonna give you the strength. All you actually have to do is just say yes. Yeah. See, some of us think walking up a mountain, that's a, that's a lot of work, or, or just trying to be more spiritual or, or be closer, to, that's a lot of work. He, stop. All he really wants you to do is say yes. And he says, my strength is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am made strong. Don't worry about the strength to climb the mountain, to draw closer to me. I got you, boo. Just say yes. Just say yes. Come on. Let's go to uh, chapter 20 and see this invitation. Exodus 20, verse 18 and through 20. And sh they should have it up here. Yes, thank you. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. I would be too. Okay. Um, uh, and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, 
but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood afar off still, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the moment. This is the moment where a nation chose to stand back and say, no, you can go. I'm scared of that. I'm going to stand here. There's an invitation to walk up a mountain to literally draw near through the dark cloud into the heart of God, but I'm scared. And I think I'd be more comfortable right here. But Moses, you go and you can tell us what he says. This is the moment that changed the nation of Israel forever. And through the next several thousand years, we're going to see a cycle in Israel. A cycle of drawing near and pulling back, drawing near and pulling back, drawing near and pulling back, drawing near. And it started with one decision. This literally created the culture of Israel. This created the culture of, I will get near to the foot of the mountain, but I will never step onto the mountain. Why? Israel knew the moment they put that pinky toe on the mountain, they were no longer in control. They were no longer in control of anything. Their future, their past, their present, their bodies, they were in control of the thing that was shaking and thundering and controlling that mountain. Here's the problem. Fear. Fear will drive you to do crazy things. Crazy things. And fear is a lie. What did these people just see? They saw him bring frogs, darkness, hail, fire, rivers of blood, uh, boils. They saw him literally bring the playbook against Egypt for plagues. And yet they still say, God, I think you're going to hurt me. Like he literally said, take a lamb, put it over your doorpost. I will kill all the firstborns of the people and their animals in Egypt. But if I see that, I will protect you because I love you. And yet they still have fear that he is going to harm them. He's going to harm them. Man, I, we don't talk about like the songs we prepare for on Sunday morning, but this morning was just so, I'm listening. I'm like, golly, they're preaching my message. The Lord longs to bring you in like a good shepherd. But so often we're afraid because we're like, Lord, I'm afraid that if I do step out, if I do give that money you're calling me to give, if I do this leap of faith or if I, if I try to really even press into my spiritual life, I'm afraid I'm going to get disappointed. I'm afraid you're not going to be a good steward of my heart. I'm afraid it's too good to be true. The, the root of all this is we're afraid that God is not who he says he is. And we have men sitting on stages or mountains saying things like he's drawing you in to be a kingdom. Because that was the message through Moses. He said he wants you to be a kingdom of priests. And they're like, that sounds good. But the moment that it was time to take the step, they said, I don't know if that's real. I don't know. I, I, I don't know now. This, this seems a little fish. This seems a little bit suspicious. I, I, I don't know if I can take that leap. And we're still doing that today. 
we are letting fear drive our response to the Lord instead of remembering all the times where he actually provided and protected us and allowing that to kind of be the compass. We allow the moment of fear. And I, and I, and I, can, I can tell you this from my own life. Several years ago, my wife and I were walking through a time in ministry where it was just really hard and we were kind of just beat down and stuff. It happens. And um, there's, there's a guy named Eric Gilmore. I don't know if, if you know him. He's awesome. But he's a very poetic little songbird for the Lord. He's, but really powerful. He's awesome. And he's one of these guys like where he's like, oh, that I could spend eight hours in your presence and never, he's just all very poetic. And he loves just spending time with the Lord. And so me and Tiffany went to, uh, it's actually with Des and Gio. We weren't here yet. We went to like a, a, a day thing with him when he did some teachings and stuff. And he's sitting up there just talking about supernatural bliss and just spending time and the oozing of his Lord, like all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there and I'm kind of like, if I'm just being honest, I was a little jaded. And I'm just, and I remember saying this is like, it can't be that good. There's no way all this, this sounds beautiful. It really does but it can't be that good. This has to be an act. You have to go home and you're probably still just as rude to your wife as I am. <laughs> you get angry at your kids and you're struggling to get 30 minutes in the morning with the Lord. I don't believe it. I'm being, I'm being honest. That's what I felt. I don't believe it. And I didn't believe it because he didn't seem credible. <laughs> he seemed like he was like he he seems he seemed like he wouldn't put on a mask um I felt that way because I felt that if I were to draw near to the Lord he would not give me that kind of response he wouldn't he wouldn't allow me to feel spiritual bliss I was afraid I was afraid to trust the Lord with my heart in my future I said Lord if I get that vulnerable if I if I do whatever. I, I just, I don't believe it. I don't believe you're going to treat me like that. And so I sat back and just, you know, I, you know, just listened and it was good. It was fine, but I didn't respond like I probably should have because I allowed fear in the times where I felt the Lord had hurt me because there were promises that he said, if to, and then I said, that's just a, that's a given. And then when it didn't happen, I got my feelings hurt. And so the next time there's an invitation, I said, well, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. Did he? Or did not, did not I? And so Israel had this moment to walk up the mountain, to become a literal nations of priests, to transform all the Sinai Peninsula, all of like... Of, of Asia Minor, all of the world. And because of fear that he is not who he says he is, even after he's performed all the miracles he's performed, they say, I don't think I can do that. And they pull back. And my question is, how often have we done this? How often have we been in services like this morning where there's worship going on and we're sitting in the seats saying, why are they taking forever to sing? This is so long. And you could say maybe it's a preference thing. I really feel like it's a, we can have trouble connecting to God's heart for that long or that deep 
And so we become suspicious of other people who do. And the problem is not them, it's us. The problem is not them taking too long to sing. The question we should really ask is, why are you finding it difficult to sing? Of all he's done for you, of all he's done for me, why do I find it, why, why do I stop at an hour? Why do I not praise him for two, three? This is an example, but the problem is not with him or other people. The problem was with us because we feel that if we were to sing and give everything, he would not be a good steward of our heart. Jesus, we see this in, in, in the writings, of, in, the, in, the, in the story of Jesus. He stands over Jerusalem on a hill and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, city who kills the prophets. How long have I desired to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks? What is he talking about? He's talking about Exodus 19. He's saying, I wanted you to be close to me, but you persecuted me. You pushed me back because you said no. And... How, how, how true is this? Anybody in the, in the foster system or who's had foster kids, you bring kids in for true love. You want to shower love on them, but what do many of them do? They actually lash out at you. They hurt you. Why? Because they think it's too good to be true. And it's like, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. I'm going to push you back because I don't think when you really get close and you wrap your arms around me, I don't think there's going to be a hug. I think there's going to be a choke. Many people think Christianity is religion because they feel like God wants to choke them rather than hug them. And the Lord wants to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks and says, I want to be close to you. I want to be close. All right. At the heart of it, Everyone wants a king like Jesus. Everyone wants a king like Jesus. Think about it. Jesus, like how, how sacrificial he was, how loving he was. Everyone wants a king like that. Many of us refuse to believe he is like that. And I just feel like the Lord, just like he invited them, is inviting a lot of us today to to walk into a reality where we believe he is a good steward of our heart. Why is this important? It has to do with him transforming the world. If Israel would have trusted the Lord, how different would the story have gone? How different would Israel have looked? How many people wouldn't have had to die because of Israel's fear or, or their rejection of the Lord, how many nations could have been changed in your life? How many people could have had transformative encounters with the Lord if you were to say, Lord, I trust you in this moment. I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna talk to that person at work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend more time with you in the morning. I'm gonna double down and have Bible study with my children. How many people could have transformative experiences with Jesus if we just trusted him? So the point of all this is really the Lord's narrative through scripture. You have an important part to play in this. I have an important part to play. My trust will dictate what the future looks like. He's going to get his way, but it has to do with the fullness of what he can do through your life. 
We see this about the kingdom and priest things. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession. Revelation 1, 5, 6, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins and has made us a kingdom of priests to God and a father to him. Be the glory. God wants an earthly family. He wants a people who host him, who love him. The problem is we have to walk up the mountain. We have to. And I want to end here. Um, many of us, God's, God's wanting an Eden, but many of us are still hiding in the bushes, covering ourselves with fig leaves. And he's like, son, daughter, I've covered you with my son. Why are you putting figs on yourself? Why are you, why are you covering yourself? You are literally covered in Christ. When I look at you, I see my son. You have been baptized into his death, raised into new life. I see Jesus when I look at you. Why do you have figs? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? It's because we feel like he's not going to be a good steward. I'm reminded of this story, and I've said it before. I think the chosen just does a fabulous job at this one moment. But there's a woman drawing water from a well and she's had like five husbands and just a promiscuous life. She's hurt and wounded. She's had things that she's done from hurt, but she's just led a life outside of God's will. And Jesus comes to her and asks her for a drink. And she's like, why would you do that? Like, you know who I am and I know, and I know where you come from. We don't, our people don't talk to each other. Why would you do that? He asked her for a drink. And then eventually Jesus says, woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. This is the first person Jesus ever publicly says, I am the Messiah. I am the one to come to. Who does he choose? Nicodemus? Caiaphas? High priestly order people? Even Peter, who chose to follow him, he chooses a woman of compromised background at a well who doesn't even believe he's as good as he says he is. He chooses her and he walks up to her and says, if you knew who I was, you would choose to, you would ask me for water. And he begins to tell her everything she ever did. And we know it wasn't condemning because she walks away rejoicing and it says the town she was from actually experienced revival because the Lord, just like he did for the woman caught in the act of adultery, bends down to someone who's hurt, who doesn't believe there's anything good left in them and it says, I believe in you. He's doing the same thing this morning. You who said like you've had 20, 30, 50 experiences where you were called front to the altar and you just chose to stand back because you felt like he would not be a good steward of your heart. His knees are still in the dirt. He's still bending down to see you. Why? Because he wants to do this thing with you. He doesn't just want to transform the earth for the sake of it. He wants it to be a father, son, daughter, relate. It's the family business. He wants you to be a part of it. And so just like the, the father of the prodigal son, he'll wait for you. And I'll even say this, even if you don't respond this morning, he will wait for you. Yes. He's waiting for you. Yes. He's waiting until you say, okay, I can trust you, Lord. And maybe there is still his fear, but like the centurion says, Lord, 
I believe, but help me with my unbelief. It's okay to say that. It's okay to come forward and be like, man, I don't know if this is going to be good for me, but there's something that I have to try. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? Covey, you want to come play, buddy? If prophetic company would just come, make yourselves available. Do you have something you want to say, baby? I, I think it'd be good to do this. Like we said with, with the people of Israel, the reason they didn't respond correctly is because they were looking at the scary thing in front of them, not the faithfulness behind them. I think it would just be good for like 30 seconds or a minute just to reflect, to remember the times he has been a good steward of your heart, of your family, of the people around you, where he's proved himself faithful. And then once we feel that, then it's like, okay, this is going to be okay. I can step out. I can trust you. Yeah. So why don't you just right now, as Cove begins to play, just begin to think about, you have to close your eyes or whatever, but just begin to think about his faithfulness unto you. The times where he has kept you where he's not let you go astray, where he came through even in that midnight hour. It may not have been when you wanted, but it, it was more than you were expecting. Lord, we just love you. We receive you right now, God. And like they were singing, God, we trust your leadership, that you are gonna be faithful with our hearts, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, catch us up in your story, Lord. I feel like even some of you who may have been involved in ministry hear that of catch me up in your story and there's a connotation that the Lord just wants to use you and then push you to the side. He does not want to use you just for the sake of advancing his kingdom. He cares about your heart. What did he say to the disciples when the Mary is pouring oil out of his feet? He says, you'll always have the poor, but this heart-to-heart connection, this is what I burn for. So just take time to reflect on the times where he's been faithful to you, good to you. Jesus, thank you. anyone now who just feels like the Lord is calling them to something deeper to more and maybe you've had parts of your heart that have been shielded held back because you're like Lord I just don't know if you're going to be a good steward of this maybe you're even jaded and and tired of Christianity or ministry I want to invite you right now even in this room just to climb the mountain to draw near to him We have people up here who are trustworthy, who will pray with you. But if that's you right now, there's 
There's encounters that he wants to give you this morning of love and of a hug and not a choke. So that's you. Would you just come right now? Would you come right now that you would have the Lord hold you? He is worthy of your heart. You can trust him. You can trust him this morning. You can trust him. draw close to the smoke because we know that you're inside and you care for us and you long to be with us. Thank you, Jesus. from the Lion King and it 